Warning. By listening to the conversations on this podcast, you will begin to live the intrepid way. Life is short and moving fast. Only we can show you how to fully integrate a new business mindset coupled with a lifestyle design that will equip you with a new approach to overcoming and in fact thriving on the daily grind of life. And now, here is your host, Todd Schnick. Welcome back to the Intrepid Way podcast. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Going to be a fun conversation. It's, uh, I think the message of today's guest is on a theme that I have been thinking about and trying to implement into my world, and I think it's going to be uh, a great message, and I'm looking forward to getting into a cool new book out, so we're going to talk about that. We're joined by Guy Bell. He's an executive leader, speaker, and writer. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. Good to be here. So, gosh, so, so the new book uh, that we're talking about is Unlearning Leadership, Know Yourself, Grow Your Business. So before we get into the book, uh, take a quick second, tell us a bit about what you're out there doing and the work that you're doing. Sure, I'd love to. Um, I have been in business for three decades, a little longer than three decades, and so I've been doing a variety of things over that career and mostly owning businesses or uh, running businesses for others and uh, primarily the latter and, and mostly in turnarounds. So I've gone into businesses throughout my career early on in the, in the last 17, 18 years in education, turning around businesses that were struggling and really didn't intend to be in this place where I was, you know, growing in, in the business world and becoming a CEO and sitting on boards, but I kind of gradually ended up there. And as I kind of learned about 20 plus years ago, I woke up one day and I saw this trend of, of the kind of work I was doing. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run with that. And that work happened to be going into businesses that were struggling, publicly traded, privately held, uh, equity backed, and in one case, a nonprofit and just helping them define what it was that wasn't working, help them get their arms and heads around the elements of, of, of what needed to happen or shift. And so I've really spent a career doing that kind of work and, and, and loving it. It's been, a, it's been a ton of fun, the challenges and the, and the easier projects over the years. And uh, then that's evolved into you know desire, my desire to write about it. And as I've learned, there are you know, consistent themes about what doesn't work in a turnaround or in a business that is either taking off and needing to change as it grows or struggling and needing to change to recover. There are themes, but they're, by and large, unique circumstances or situations around the human condition. So we can dive into that in a moment. But that's been my kind of my bailiwick or my my, my kind of experience is, is humanizing the business, uh, getting to the deep roots of, of systems, process, organization, and structure. Outstanding. Well, thank you for sharing that. So again, the new book is called Unlearning Leadership, Know Yourself, Grow Your Business. So if you're at all familiar with my show, you know that I generally lead off with a question such as this, but goodness, did the world need another book on leadership? What's unique about your message and your approach? Why did you have to put this book out there? I love that starting point, and no, <laughs> it does not need another book. I read every book, I think, known to man in the last hundred years in my 20s around business and psychology and 
as many things as I could get my hands on and burnt out. I hit a wall and I thought, my gosh, if I read the, another version of the same thing one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, so I stopped reading for a long time and really just got caught up in practice in, in the experience of, of life and the experience of business life. And so I really wrote during all that period where I stopped kind of the incessant desire to understand what you know, the five habits of whatever, the seven habits, the fives of this is the threes that's got into kind of more of, okay, what does this mean in real life and the practice and the day to day? And as I was writing about my situation and I was, you know, kind of going back and recalling, you know, the gems because every book has in my experience, at least one gem, some have more and most overwrite. So they, they give you more than you probably want or need to know around their ideas. That said, I started to kind of come to this voice that showed up in unlearning leadership that I hadn't seen as often. Although I, you know, I did see it in you know different varieties of books, but they were they tended to be more on the fringe of of kind of bringing spirituality to work, which I I related to, but didn't feel like that was necessarily the key to to my version of humanizing business or seeing business from a different perspective. And so the book came out of you know this clear understanding of what I saw as kind of the heart of the last hundred plus years in business around Tayloristic uh, Ford machine-minded business models that has created agile workflow in more recent language and times and robotics which is really to say a ton of value a ton of great attributes to the business world but unfortunately over a hundred plus years and much longer than that but in that more recent time We've also gotten ourselves really stuck in the science of management in a business, and we haven't kind of matured out of that into the wisdom of life's teaching and lessons in the humanity, which is really the only reason we have anything called a business is each other. So the book is really around honoring the fact that we got here and we've, we've learned to do some pretty amazing things in some pretty outstanding ways through technology and machine learning uh, theories and practices now. And I've used robots as a part of my customer service outreach, which has been wildly successful, but it's not enough. And the book is really around the not an either or, but a both end. We need to keep growing in the systems process organization structure without dying to the fact that we have to come alive again. We have to see the humanity in all of this if we're going to get the most out of our business to kind of reach the most in our human potential with the best possible product services in the marketplace. Well, these are things we know, right? I mean, there's nothing that you say here that someone listening says, all right, well, that makes sense. I get it. But there still are far too many leaders who hear the term humanizing business and they roll their eyes and say, ah, well, I don't have time for that stuff. I, I, I'm a businessman. I got things to do. I got profit to, to collect it. And I don't, I don't have time for that. What, why, why are we struggling with this, of getting our head wrapped around this idea of, of, of bringing humanity back to the workplace? It's so essential. There's two kind of thoughts I have. One is, that there's such an entrenched school of thought that says, you know, drive results, hit your numbers at any cost, fire faster, create the right perceptions, fall in line. All of these kind of, it's not personal, it's just business kind of tactics and practices and leadership qualities that from the definition that is a groupthink definition, business is wildly successful and fear works. 
fear gets people on the edge and they work a little harder. All these beliefs that are governing most of what we call leadership and most of what we call successful business practices and outcomes. And I argue that we're leaving at least half of the opportunity on the table when we dismiss or devalue the importance of every person every single day, every single time. And we don't see the incremental wake up, pay attention, be present, engage in people in their full presence so that we can get the best out of everything we do and we can get the best ideas out of every thought that emerges or unfolds in people that you now trust and they trust you. In the absence of doing all of that, we call the current business model, and right now we're sitting on top of the, one of the best markets in our lifetime, but I would still argue it's, it's far underperforming its potential. If we just simply shifted and started to reflect versus control, when we started to wonder versus you know, deal in certainty, when we know for a fact, when we quiet our leadership mindset, we don't know what the heck we're talking about in every situation where we wanna create the perception that we do. So why not just say, I hadn't thought of that, I don't know, what do you think? So these very simple shifts in thinking, I believe, create a highly performing or higher performing culture model by just simply changing how we see, feel, come to life, wonder out loud, expand the ability for every person to be similar to you in that if you're the owner, the chairman of the board, whatever these top positions are, that they too have a belief or an experience or a way to see their business or the customer experience that can add more value than it does today, that can take away one barrier that they know is a, is a block to excellent service, to a product that could be better, and so on and so forth. So why wouldn't we logically come to this from a, you know, a enlightened self-interest at a minimum if we don't really mean it, but we have to learn by just doing it because it kind of makes conceptual sense that we can earn more and have a better bottom line and give the marketplace a better return. And as we start to see that it actually works, sure, then we can shift into saying, okay, I can kind of get that this can fundamentally change me as a person in my whole life, in my family life, in my friend's life. And it's really good, as it turns out, in my business life. I just recently heard, or I guess I should say reheard a quote that I love, and I, I cannot recall who actually said it, but it's the idea of a good leader, their sole purpose is to develop more leaders. Gotcha. Right? You know, and so that's that's kind of what you're talking about here. I mean, I, I just, I think about the guy, though, who says, all right, well, when Wall Street reports my quarterly earnings and it, and it misses their their expected targets, well, then I'm vilified as a leader and my stock drops and then I'm, I'm on the hot seat. So I don't have time for this, this, humanization kind of stuff you know i mean i just i i you and you and i both know guy that that yeah this this mindset that you're talking about here that you're that you're promoting in this book does lead to better results which then will make wall street happy but getting the manager the leader to shift and understand that who's got a board breathing down his neck <laughs> and saying we don't have time for this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I, how do you start? I mean, how do you how do you begin? Where do you throw an anchor to stop where you're going, and and turn and rethink how you approach this? I mean, what, what's the what's the starting point? How do you begin that journey? That is probably the age old question, and will be right. after we have this conversation: is what does it mean to 
kind of fundamentally shift how we come to business. And how do you do that at a time when, in a turnaround, it's relatively easy because things are broken, and the egocentric, control-minded person that will bring me in, good human being, really bright, almost to a person, I thought they were fantastic people, but they were broken because they couldn't fix the problem themselves and needed help, so there was a humility. You know, so how do you put yourself in that state of wonder, of being humble for a minute, to have another experience, felt experience yourself, so you can kind of get the evidence in your body, so you're not trusting Guy Bell or some other person coming in, a consultant that's doing executive coaching and trying to get you to soften up the rough edges where you're being a jerk to people and they're, and they're, it's not getting results and that fear worked for a while or for some people, but it's not working for the organization as a whole. How do you get someone to that fundamental, I get it, feeling that, God, it makes sense now. And I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not easy and there's no easy answer and if anybody gives you an easy answer, they're lying. Now, having said that, it is equally easy, meaning, you have to start with saying, I wonder, I want to know more about that. If you open yourself up as a leader that has had success or is running out of fear because they're about to give negative news to Wall Street and they're rehearsing as I've been in that diatribe for more than one time and, and you, you kind of spend weeks and months trying to figure out the narrative of your arc of a story, telling the truth but at the same time spinning it and all that jazz we have to do, to get out of that takes a massive act of courage to say, I need to examine how I'm come to work. I need to examine the impact I have that when I, and as we sit and watch ourselves, that looking glass self, the psychology term, and we see ourselves in these executive meetings where we're wondering what impact am I having on this group, you will see it as you ask that question and shut up. <laughs> so right. I think the first step is be curious, ask yourself to observe yourself if that makes sense, invite you to be a teacher of yourself. And as you do that, and you see yourself, well, that person's failing, so I need to be tough on them kind of mindset, and you kind of repeat the things that you believe to be true, hold space for the fact that it may be either is not true, or if it's true, it's only true in relative terms, meaning that's what your pattern is, and you feel good enough about the result when you aggressively manage someone to an outcome and you kind of get there, you know it's not working as well as it, as it could have otherwise, so why not try asking a question? Why not try sitting this person down without revealing that you're rethinking how you're coming to leadership and business and just begin to say, you know, I typically share my thoughts. I really am curious to know more about yours before I dive in. Let's go around the table and let's get everyone to give feedback on this situation. And all of a sudden, you're going to watch people and you're going to sense them, which is a weird thing. But it's, you know, again, since we're going to throw in the curveball and talk about that touchy-feely thing called people, you got to trust this sense that you have in your gut, which we've heard about for decades. But as it turns out, it's true. And you start to listen with your whole body. You start to pay attention to the intention, to the conversation, and do more, do no more than that wonder state, and instead of kind of choosing to get it, be a CEO and dive in and change the trajectory of the decision, say, what do you guys think we should do? I don't have a clear winner in my head, and let everyone contribute, and relearn that muscle memory of, God, if that was working as well as I thought it could, I would keep doing it, but let's see if we can play with this and see what happens. You'll get, a win or two 
only if it's if it's around the thanks for asking I really appreciate it boss or whatever the terms are that people use in that in your culture and you kind of get that first sense of okay that's that's good and I say you can get evidence within a week because you'll get ideas that you didn't get before but people are most likely going to be frightened by the new you <laughs> even if you don't name it and call it out they'll still wonder like who the hell is this person we're talking to now right, right. that used to come after us and now is inviting us into the conversation and wondering what we think at the fifth why kind of uh, speaking of books idea and so I say it, you have to be conscientious enough about the fact that there's more on the table if it's just enlightened self-interest or at a minimum, if it's not going as you planned it to go and you want to try something different, it makes perfect sense to just start to play with it from that wonder yourself, watch yourself, choose to act differently about opening up the dialogue, the conversation for more contribution and see what happens to the morale, see what happens to the energy, the ideas, and you'll know within weeks because people are anxious to express. And when they don't, figure out a way to have a growingly internal conversation with yourself around what am I willing to now expose so perhaps you see enough evidence where you're gonna say hey guys I've been consciously making a change in leadership and I want you I want to invite you into this process I'm trying to shift because and then name it if you feel comfortable and in that naming in that wonder state in that I want candid feedback you know about are we getting a change in our culture, in our organization that is authentic, that is reflection of this shift I'm desiring to create. And I'm going to tell you, I still want to do it to get a great result. In fact, I want to get a better result. So I'm going to and transparent. If you can do all of that as a second stage, I can almost guarantee you, but I can't, of course, because I don't know every situation, you'll get better results than you've gotten in the past. That's my lived experience, but it will still come up against a deep-seated truth that you may hold as a person. If you're fear-based and you're still holding all this fear about the marketplace and the board's going to rip me apart at the next board meeting and you're not kind of rewiring that around saying, but I also know I'm seeing early results that I can start to point to and you rest in the moving into meaning, purpose, performance and taking away some of that you know, deep-seated feeling of fear, so I've got to look in control and all the perceptions you create, you're going to have a really good shot at changing the results, changing the way you do business without having to tell a whole bunch of people, uh, board members I'll use as a proxy for people that may not understand it either. You can avoid going out and kind of confessing a transformation, you can kind of inch your way into it by just shifting how you come to work. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Great, great stuff. Uh, we've got to go to break. Uh, just a quick note to the audience. If you're hearing an occasional ping, those are struggling business owners uh, reaching out to Guy looking for help. I got a feeling we're going to hear a few more of those uh, email pings coming. All right. So Guy Bell and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. 
Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeetler.com. All right, I'm back with Guy Bell, the author of a new book called Unlearning Leadership, Know Yourself, Grow Your Business. So I want to springboard off of how we close the, the top half of the show. I think it's important to talk about that, yeah, the, the goal of a leader is to empower your people and enable them and empower them to do good work. But you really have to, I mean, the subtitle of the book says it, I mean, you have to know yourself. And I feel like most people in management are so cluttered with all the things they think they have to be thinking about and focusing on that they don't do a good job of examining themselves. And and you've talked a lot about alignment, and I want to get into what you mean by alignment, why that's so important here. And, and I mean, it's critical that a thorough self-examination process and the results that it can bring really is the trigger for, for better performance, yes? Yes, there's no question about it. You know, it, it's uh, I get equal portions of uh, feedback around the it starts with you model because it sounds trite and often, you know, and I kind of play the same, you know, card where I love quotables because they're quotables and they point to a truth. And so when we simplify things, that's usually what it ends up becoming. And then it loses meaning. So we have to unpack this and figure out a new way to talk about it really does begin and end with know yourself, grow your business. And so I'll give it a shot in a couple of key points. One is I'm, I've been using the word whole body wisdom. My life partner, Kelly, is a, a physical therapist and she comes to her work with a, this deep sense, this deep whole body wisdom that uh, is a more holistic healing process. And I use her as a proxy because to me, the truth, when it is the truth beyond our beliefs, uh, it applies to everything, business, healing, spirituality, I would argue, but it applies universally. And that truth is know yourself, heal yourself, know yourself, grow your business, know yourself, become, as you know well, an authentic, trusted politician. And without that, in, in, in light of John McCain's recent passing, without that integrity to, you know, be the goods and the bads of who you are uh, and earn trust by, you know, being trustworthy, it takes a deep-seated understanding of who am I, why am I here, and what does that mean at, a, at the deepest possible level I can come to that answer. And so that's, you know, essentially what we all need to do, but specifically around leadership it is fundamentally missing because we have decades and decades and decades of learning patterns of behavior that get us there. And what gets us there doesn't keep us there. Meaning, you know, we're, we're serving the existing leadership structure. So we become a junior senator or we become a mid-level manager and we're trying hard to earn our stripes and become recognized and all those things. But what happens in that is we lose ourselves often in our mid-career if we happen to have ever had ourselves because that also plays out in, in B schools and, and often plays out in you know parents who are 
trying hard to get their kids at kindergarten to become a Harvard graduate. But to that extent that it comes shows up everywhere in life, we need to figure out if we've lost ourselves, how to get back to this essential truth that it really is a personal journey that is now expressed in my health, in healthy relationships, marriages, friendships, and in healthy businesses. Well, and I think it's also important to, to well, let me step back and say, yeah, kind of another way to say what you were just saying was it's, there's a reason why the flight attendant says put your mask on first before helping others because you cannot <laughs> help others if you're unconscious, right? I mean, so that, that's a silly example, but it proves the point of to, to serve and empower others to do good work on behalf of the organization and its customers. You you've got to be you got to be right in the head and understand why you're there. I mean, so that's important to to that. So some, I think some people think well, focusing on me and learning myself is selfish. I should be helping my team. No, you can't do that process well without knowing yourself first. So that's that's really really critical. The hmm, gosh, <laughs> ten ten directions I could go. Any other comment on that? Yeah, let me pick. That's a fantastic recap. You did a better job than I did. I love that. <laughs> so I, the, what I what I want to pull out of that is the the payback on know yourself is exactly that. You don't if it's if it's untrue, meaning a belief that you're hearing that used to agitate you because you have a different belief that you feel is true. If it's truly the essential truth of what the right you know business decision is, there's nothing to defend. You'll work through it, and so you get less attached to having to win or look good or be right, and you're way more interested in, you know, what is the best possible outcome and the, the ocean of things or the sea of things we can know today? What's knowable today? And what's a reasonable period of time that we need to kind of open ourselves up to learn something? And then we'll execute based on the best idea, and then you can let it go because you're not attaching to anything. You know, today's solution inevitably is tomorrow's failure. Every time. With the rare, rare exception when we get to something that's fundamentally true. And to further that, another point I wanted to make, because I was listening to you and I realized this, is that this process doesn't end, right? Because you said, I I like it, I'm going to steal it. Today's success or solution is tomorrow's failure. I mean, things evolve, right? I mean, trends change, technology changes. There's a million things that impact the direction of an organization, of a relationship. I mean, one of the reasons couples get divorces that after 10 years they've changed right and, and so the same thing happens so this process of learning i mean you have to learn to unlearn is what i've heard you say and, and that process never ends right and it shouldn't and you ought to relish that because that that that's how you continue to grow too right there's no question you do and it's i use another word and these are all just pointers as you know but for the audience I, i'm not attached although i've kind of jump around in terms of using different terms, which may be a little harder to follow, but I use another term called free thinking. And really all that points to is to say, how do you stay in that state of wonder? And you can't if you're holding on to the truth that you believe should happen or the belief that you believe should happen. And you kind of limit yourself by saying, well, of course it's true because I observably see it, that scientific mind or that CEO kind of egocentric mind. And how do you kind of stay in that confidence without losing confidence? In fact, you gain it. And then you can now not be in that defensive mode or space where you're trying, you know, to kind of convince or influence, but you're you're stating what you your your experiences would tell you. And then you're wondering from the team their feedback. And in that, you have to be in that 
kind of free thinking or that that unlearning mindset, whatever the terms are. I think the Buddhists call it um, right right mind. And whatever the pointer is, who cares? But that it, it frees you up to, in that moment, just be curious. You already know how you feel, think, believe. You know, wonder long enough without, you know, your ego or your minds or your synapses going to defend your belief and allow it to be a part of that truth and other people's voice. And in that state, that's where we really get the best results, the best decisions, the deepest relationships by doing that kind of work. Further examining this idea, you've written about the school of thought. It rankles me when when people say it's not personal, it's just business. I have a feeling you, you summarily reject that idea, right? Why? Correct. As I mentioned earlier, there's only one reason for business. There's not two. And that one reason is each other. Whether we like it or not, without the human species, as far as I can tell, uh, and I'm, there's maybe something I don't know about other species that could inhabit the earth, but right now that's why we do a business. That's why we're in this you know, world of competition and complementary business models and, and in theory trying to create the best products and services that the marketplace or people want. So when we humanize it, we personalize it, it matters greatly. And I say the opposite. I say it's not just business and it's wildly personal for that specific reason. Now in that belief that's completely the opposite of, you know, it's, 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 it's not personal, it's just business, is you still make tough decisions. I've let go of, you know, more people than some people have ever hired, right? So I, I, don't, I, I don't celebrate it, I don't fight it, I don't try to hurt anybody's career, I wanna build them up and get them onto their next thing to the extent I can and will do that. I, I try to make sure that happens, but you still make tough decisions. People still aren't in the right fit. They're still not in the right mind. They're going through their own seasons and cycles in life. Up to a point, you work with everyone to the best of their ability, your ability to get to their peak performance. And if for some reason it doesn't work, you work hard in that to say, grounded in the, it's, uh, it's wildly personal. In other words, I'm going to make a tough decision. I'm going to tell you maybe the same information around what you currently say when you say this is not working and you say goodbye or you, whatever you do in that process. But now you do it with that heart or that intent to say, and I want to keep you whole. And here's some things I'm seeing that are really good in what you do. And I would love to support you if you look for things in that area. Take the time to know who the heck they are. Help them out if you can. Either way, you still make the tough decisions, it still happens, and it's, it's not just business. And I would argue, and this is the other part of the equation that's fundamentally important in why I wrote the book. In fact, I don't think I would have written it had I not believed this. I've got a life of watching politics. I've grown up in a very political family. I am fairly political myself. I enjoy it up to a point, and then I'm <laughs> at times appalled and frustrated by it. And a lot of people in the world really rest their future on the political process to their demise or to our demise. I would say the true is religion, for better or worse, all faiths, all sects, all, you know, everywhere I've looked, it attempts to help people figure out that free thinking, that mindset, whatever it's attempting to do that helps people become their fully realized self and, and live into their fullness, it just isn't working in my view. And I, would, I look at healthcare and health in general as the same problem. I believe, oddly, that business has the single greatest potential for changing the world for the good and for the good of all, meaning the, every person working in business, regardless of where you are, the investors in business, regardless of what kind of investment it is, 
and the customers, the other side of that equation, which are you know the same person now wearing a different hat. If we do it right well and consistently, and we have every day counts, every person counts mindsets, and we maximize performance and we humanize the experience, um, to me, business is that system, although no system ha- is, is probably exclusively uh, able to do this, but it, it's, it's the best bet we have to help us you know, become more human, to become less, and then fill in the blanks of the things that I think generally most of us want, but certainly to wake up to our fully realized potential as human beings and do the most good we can for each other through product services, different things in business and commerce. So that is a, is, is a little bit pie in the sky for some, and we could unfold that now, or maybe I'll do that in the future, but it, I, do, I, do, I have seen it change, and I watched when I turned around some of the businesses where we had a little longer runway, I watched people uh, wake up to a deeper joy and a higher contribution, and it's it's just so much fun to watch a company turn around and get a better bottom line and a top line while you watch the human beings do the same in about the same uh, fashion, where they're starting to say, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you asked me, and I really appreciate that you let you trusted me to make that decision, and, and, and. And now all of a sudden, the fabric of the business ever so subtly, often, and once in a while, you get to know through those conversations what the lived experience is, uh, less often, but really important to know that as well. Well, I reject this notion in the seeking of work-life balance. In my opinion, if you, are, if you need work-life balance, well, then... They're not congruent. They're not in alignment, your work life and your life life. And I believe that we ought to be striving for an integrated life. Our work is us. It should be us. It should be meaningful. It should be impactful. And and then that's when it can be exciting and rewarding and challenging in a good way. And and I just I feel like people are you know, the, the people who are celebrating hump day and they can't wait for Friday and, and dread Sunday nights because Monday's around the corner. Ah, what a what a miserable existence! But it's because they're not working in an organization that thinks like this, right? I mean, they're so I I, I hear everything you're saying, and it, I, I don't know. I think the person who says that is pie in the sky is not living in that existence. You know, they 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 would benefit from this rethinking of of how to do business. So uh, it, it should be personal. I mean, I, it, it it should be deeply personal. I agree. And, and I and I, 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 I flip the word utopia. I've I've been said to have a kind of a more utopian uh, view of of business in the world, and and I disagree. I, I think I'm the opposite. I see it as it's meant to be. Every human being is meant to be here. Not most, not majority, not the ones I like. Everyone. If you don't begin with that, you're kind of screwed. You're always, you know, creating other. You're always judging one group, and you're kind of judging them. When they walk away, you're overtly judging them. Whatever you do, until you break the habit of the otherness of the world and your tribe, it's a non-starter, and you're never going to be able to get to the fact that everyone counts. Well, and I, and I was thinking about when you were talking about this process of having to let people go from an organization, and someone would say, "Well, there's nothing human hum, human about that. That's a, that's a miserable thing." Well, I actually think the way to look at it is we're doing this person a favor because they clearly are not finding meaning in this work. It's not important to them. They're probably miserable, and you're mm-hmm. doing them a favor. I mean, there's a there's a human way to do that. Uh, than this being ugly and firing someone with with malice, but but anyway, lots to think about there. Yeah. You know, 
I want to go down another little path here. You've talked about the four rules of flight. What the heck is that? And and, and part of my confusion on this this thing that you talk about is uh, I feel like a business with all kinds of rules is is hardly a, a humanizing kind of a business. Walk us through what this is all about. Sure. No, I appreciate it. You know, it's it, each business I've been in, whether it, it's a startup and you're growing or it's a it's it's been successful and and you know you're maintaining or you know meeting the market demand, or you're turning something around that is broken. Each of them has different variations of of, of a problem around rules, and so I'm going to use the four rules of flight to characterize the turnaround because it's the most obvious, but they apply to every business. In a turnaround, when you go in and you assess, or I assess kind of what's going on. There are two fundamental kind of macro categories, process, systems, organization, and structure in the human condition. And uh, it all end up, ends up coming down to does leadership and do, do investors know themselves, understand who they are, and align the who I am internally with the words I use in conversations and the actions we take as a business. When that's aligned, things will turn around, period, unless there's a market reason. But in the case of, uh, of the four rules, it's weight, lift, thrust, and drag. You add a fifth rule, the plane flies, falls out of the sky, you take one away. Before you take off, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you become mm-hmm. a car. So if there were five rules, then there were five rules, but there's not. So what does it mean in business as CEOs, as chief compliance officers, as a startup, but really the companies that I've turned around, I walk in and the first thing I do before I see anybody is I say, give me access to all of your drives. And I look at, one, how hard is it to figure out what the rules are? Uh, two, how many competing rules are there? Three, how many versions of a rule are there out there in the ecosystem? Four, are they on multiple platforms uh, with different language depending on the audience, but they all think that they're using the same one? And the answer on all of them is they're all true. They're all there. Every turnaround has that in common. There's no, there was no exception. Not one of them had any of those right. So what I tend to do is go in and say, okay, here are the 600 policies or rules, and we're going to go down the list. And if, if your gut says, if you've been here for 20 years and you just keep doing it, but you know it's terrible for the customer or whatever it is, or it doesn't help you, or you, you work around it, or you lie and you pretend like you do, but you cheat the system, I don't care. No judgment. And let's tick off the ones that we want to put on the stupid policy list, and then let's go in and dive in and make sure we understand what that means. And so you just go down all of them, and you, you move the second day, you'd, move, you'd go over them, but the first day, you'd move them all over, you'd talk about them, you'd debate them, you'd start saying which ones are the most obvious barriers to you know, whatever it is, and, and you start to reconstitute your business with rules that are designed to create versus reacting to fear, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you, you take the ones that are left, the dumb ones are the dumb ones are the dumb ones, but the ones that are written, but they're written because they're trying to keep a registrar, or they're trying to keep a bookkeeper from XYZ, what do you want to happen? Move into the desire of what you want to happen. What's, what, what does it mean to make this super simple to practice? And so those kinds of questions you know, encourage helping every single person using that policy to use it easily and, and, and for it to make sense because it, it enhances customer engagement, enhances inner 
operability of the organization. So you're serving a business to business or an internal business unit uh, and you and it makes perfect sense. It, so that becomes the new setup, right? No more, no less. And then the second phase of that you know, analysis is now that you have that, to me, and no company, I have not been successful at this, by the way, <laughs> but it is, it is the truth. A rule means the government says, I'll close you down if you don't do this. A policy means we think it's so important that we're going to write it down. And 90, 95% of the time, you need to follow it. Be transparent. I'll never judge you if you're transparent. You document your reasons why you're out of compliance with the policy. And as long as you document it, even if I totally disagree, you've earned the trust, right, to make a, a business decision. You're hired to do that if you're a manager. You're not hired to just follow a policy. Three, best practices are just the history and the legacy of a long time in business and things that have worked, and it becomes a toolkit. And really the fourth is if you do the top three, you should be able to, in, in theory, we develop you or hire people that are really ambitious to create the best possible environment to serve the best possible product, whatever the delivery system is, and to whomever it's delivered to. If you're if you allowed to do all of that and, and all these things called rules, policies, and best practices aren't in the way, they're actually designed to help you, and everyone feels, sees, knows that because it's you can practice it, you can experience it, and then you really guard the crap out of your business from a new compliance person or a new lawyer or a new CEO coming in and you know, embedding it with fear. And the truth is, good people are gonna make bad decisions and make you wanna create a policy, and bad people that are bad in the moment, that have ill will, you know, and you're gonna probably let go of, are gonna do things that, you know, get you into trouble sometimes. And if if that 1% to 5% of people defines, and that's often what happens, what policies and rules you have in place, you're out of business. It may take you 30 years, and it may take you 30 weeks. I don't know which one it'll be, but you're not going to be around. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is most rules are put into place from a punitive point yes. of view, whereas what we're talking about here is we need to, and I think rules just has this negative connotation, but policies should be put in place to to provide an environment where the team is empowered the individual is empowered to, one, learn, but two, also to be free to do their best work on behalf of the organization serving a customer base. And rules don't seem to be typically created in that context, and that's that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, right on. That's exactly it. Let's close on this one final discussion here, Guy. Uh, I, I worry that there are some folks listening to this that say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't run the company. I don't even run my division or my team. So none of this applies to me. I think that's absolutely wrong, right? The most important person you need to be leading is yourself, right? Talk about how the, all the lessons that we've talked about today apply to everybody. Right on. That's great. That's a great way to end. You know, I, I used to have this Margaret Wheatley kind of mindset because I'd read one of her books that was just, you know, a great book. I think it was in the late 90s. And I, I won't try to quote it because I'll probably blow it. <laughs> the essence of, of my answer is wrapped up into this ebb and flow of can a dispersed workforce or any workforce that's larger than you know a couple of people co-create an environment? In other words, is it a reflection of each individual or is it a reflection of the executive or, or the management team or the owner? And what I've learned as I've really studied this is unfortunately in some ways with 
many ownership structures, it is a reflection of the top person, but not exclusively. So in many organizations, it's more so than I would want it to be. But science does prove out that, you know, we're whole lines, we're holes and parts, and we can create at any level. We have the ability from a kind of strict science perspective to cause change at any point. So I would then flip it and say my, you know, true belief is, you know, if you allow yourself to be a servant to an unhealthy organization, go if you can. And if you can't today, figure out a way to go in a place where you can contribute at your highest level. If, you, if you're going to stay, then you have to choose to wake up and it starts with you. You have to choose to be the change. And you've got to do it quietly and then just do it because it's the right thing to do the customer experience the, the ad- advising the change of policy that's in the way of good co- whatever the do is you got to do it you can be a single contributor you're a line cook uh at a, at a fast food place and you uh you see that the, the heat's not coming up and you know that and before you used to kind of just passively say well screw it because dot 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 i don't have the authority and i've done this once before and you know they said it's not your business don't worry about it just keep doing your job you need to shift you know, from that heart of it's my job to kind of help improve the experience for my peers, for my customers, uh, regardless of the circumstances within, you know, again, reason, because that's the great challenge, right? If we feel like we're threatened by our bosses, which happens all too often, it's difficult. But in that difficulty, it still starts with you. Every single person has the power to impact in a very positive way at the incremental level at the entry level job and the more I believe the more you do that early on over time when you trust that the ebb and flow of being recognized for having the guts to tell truth in a, in a situation where that's not as popular and, and you get recognized in a positive way it's going to feel really good but there's going to be times where you get kind of sideswiped and it doesn't feel so good it's not conditional when it starts with you and you do the work you, you don't become a jerk all of a sudden and now, you know, say, well, I'm not going to do that. But you, you kind of learn from it and you grow as a person. You grow in understanding your voice. How do I communicate this kind of situation to my boss and maybe give them power because their ego is fragile still and give them the ability to say, hey, you may want to bring this up to your the regional manager. I just wanted to pass it to you and give them the ability to go and tell the person that they found it. And you know that you did the right thing. You don't care about the accolades. You care about changing the customer experience. So it starts with you. It starts with every single person in an organization. And from that place, everything can change. And boy, when you get some momentum going, that's when things get really fun, interesting, and exciting. That's where we all should be striving for. All right. Well, Guy, gosh, we have a lot more to talk about, but unfortunately, we're about out of time. Before I let you go, should anyone need to contact you with any questions, learn more about your work, and most importantly, get their hands on a copy of Unlearning Leadership, where do they go? Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been really fun, so I've enjoyed the conversation and look forward to hopefully having another at some point. In the future, um, my email address is uh, Guy Pierce Bell, G-U-I-P-I-E-R-C-E-B-E-L-L.com. Uh, my book is being sold on Amazon.com, Unlearning Leadership, Know Yourself, Grow Your Business. Those are the two best ways. You can find my contact information on the website in terms of you know email. And I'll, if you want to connect by phone, uh, certainly look at the uh, connect with me through the, the email. And it's uh, Guy Pierce Bell, the numeral one at gmail.com if you want to do that directly or go to the website and you can catch me through there on uh, the same email. 
Guy Bell, an executive leader, speaker, and author, and especially the new book, Unlearning Leadership, Know Yourself, Grow Your Business. Guy, it was a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for making time to join us. You bet. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Guy Bell, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on The Intrepid Way. Thank you for paying attention to today's conversation. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and most podcast apps by searching for The Intrepid Way. And to support our work, we would certainly appreciate a rating and review. To learn more, check out toddschnick.com. That's T-O-D-D-S-C-H-N-I-C-K.com. We'll see you next time.